Office. This is the first day of our five-day session and ends our 33rd practice period. And this is the first day of summer, right? Wow. It's amazing. Um, it's a beautiful summer day. It's very clear and bright and getting warmer. Uh, so welcome everybody who's sitting here in the Zendo and those of you who are out in Zoom land. The word for the day, the Japanese word for the day that came to me earlier uh, this morning is gambate. Gambate, which means do your best. I remember when I was at uh, at Tsuyoji in Japan, the uh, the Eno uh, passed us in the hall the first day and just bowed to us and said, Gambate! <laughs> you know, uh, which I think in, implicit in that is the feeling that we're doing something hard and uh, it's not going to be easy. We're not always going to feel like we're doing it correctly or doing it to our satisfaction, but just combate, do your best. So, um, this is the first day of these, this five-day session, and for me, my experience is the first day is often the hardest uh, because the, the tendrils of uh, the life that I've been involved in yesterday and the day before is still clinging to me, uh, and it takes uh, it takes this day or so to uh, to really become fully absorbed in the activity of Sashin. Uh, and I will say that, you know, since the pandemic, we keep we keep thinking, oh, we're kind of at the other end of it, right? <laughs> I was thinking, yesterday I was thinking uh, about the pandemic. The pandemic is just like, it's like the mafia in, uh, uh, in the uh, Godfather. When Godfather part three, Michael Corleone says, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So we're constantly being pulled back into the pandemic and dealing with it. That, that came very close to home uh, for me. You know, Lori went on this wonderful trip to help Sue Moon teach in Italy and then to have a carefree mother-daughter week with Sylvie in Paris and she got COVID. And then came home and uh, you know, we've been apart for three weeks. And then there she was and we had to eat separately. We had to sleep in separate rooms and it was, it was hard. So this pandemic, we, we're, not, we're not forgetting about it. 
so what we have done is we've organized our schedule uh, to simplify things and you know I still have in mind I still have the wish to get back to our full day uh, our the sessions that so many of us did for all those years uh, but that involves you know three meals a day and uh, it's hard to do so I think we will get back to it but I'm not sure when but anyway we have these days which go from 7.50 until 5.30 and as of uh, the opening of practice period we've been we're experimenting with with outdoor orioki which is great uh, it's one step in that direction but part of the challenge of these days is uh, it's less often that we face that kind of implacable wall of pain that we and difficulty that we may have experienced in in our um, decisions that we're used to um, and there's a function to that difficulty the function to that is if session is to the purpose of session is to touch the mind which is what it literally translates to or touch the heart mind then uh, we're not always ready to do that you know sometimes we need some what Suzuki or she often talked about it we need some rules or we need some structures that put us in the space where we can't do anything but touch the mind uh, and these this shorter form creates its own challenge you still can you can touch the mind it's not necessarily that something is missing but you have to find a way to do that um, so uh, you know instead of having the complete experience where we wake up really early and we go we sit until nine and we're really tired and we go to bed uh, we have the challenge of maintaining the continuity of session mind from you know through the, the the early evening and through the evening and in the early morning and I want to really encourage you to find a way to do that uh, and I a few a few suggestions just for things to keep in mind uh, and this is what I'm going to try to do um, first of all don't watch television <laughs> and really minimize your screen use of, of all kinds uh, but don't get pulled in there's something you know there's something really weird and mysterious about uh, those screens uh, I remember really long ago it was in the early 70s uh, I, was, I had a hernia operation I was in the hospital uh, and it happened that the night after I had this procedure I was in this hospital room and the television was on uh, and it was a blackout you know it was a blackout in New York City so all the transmitters were down and so all you got on the screen was uh, snow you know blur uh, and it was really weird because so long as that screen was on I could not keep my eyes away from it 
it was it had nothing to do with the images that were on the screen it just had to do with the the activation of it that sort of pulled my mind out of out of my body so please try not to watch television uh the other thing is um really minimize any unnecessary conversation in your household and that might mean making an agreement with those if you're living with just saying i'm in session now and i want to really want to contain myself so can you help me to do this uh and uh One way that we express, you know, conversation like this is, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense. We, it's sometimes referred to as leaking. So it's letting our feelings, instead of containing our feelings, and having to work with them internally, uh, we share them in a way that. Uh, Sometimes it's an it's a unconscious attempt to sort of get rid of them or to you know change the focus. So so see if you can limit any unnecessary conversation. Uh, there's a lot of hours. There'll be a lot of hours into the evening, and uh, I'm not going to say. You shouldn't read anything. But what I would say is, if you're going to read something, pick up a Dharma book. Uh, read the Dharma. Read something that's in a lot in in alignment with our activity. Uh, and that's a helpful thing to do. And finally, remember, you can always just sit zazen. You know. You can sit zazen everywhere, or you can take a walk and make it a mindful walk, not not kinhin in this really slow manner that we do. But uh, even if you're walking at a normal pace, feel your breath and feel your body, and just maintain our session mind. So yesterday I was looking around uh, looking through the Suzuki Roshi archive, which I, I love to do. Uh, and we did a search for Suzuki Roshi Seshin. And I, I found this talk, which I'm going to uh, reference and we can talk about a bit. Uh, from, uh, it was a talk from an October session in uh, 1965. Uh, so it was an early session. Uh, and this is from the afternoon lecture. It, it appeared in a, uh, in an edited form in the wind bell uh, later that year, 65. Suzuki Roshi says, in Zazen practice, the most important point, this is, this is one of the uh, 108 most important points, right? <laughs> the most important point is straightforwardness, as the sixth ancestor emphasized. Um, so I wanted to read you, then I, that sent me back to look at the Platform Sutra, and uh, I found this, this passage. The samadhi of oneness is straightforward mind at all times, walking, staying, sitting, and lying down. Straightforward mind is the place of practice. Straightforward mind is the pure land. Only practice straightforward mind 
and in all things have no attachments whatsoever. This is called the Samadhi of Oneness. So Suki Roshi goes on about the Sixth Ancestor. According to him, if we always remain in straightforwardness, we have our way and we are expressing our true nature. But this straightforwardness does not mean to remain lazy without making any effort to improve yourself. When your true nature is covered or bound by something, even though you try to express your straightforward nature, it is impossible. If you always remain straightforward, you will have some confidence within the straightforwardness. Whatever comes to us, whatever we face, we should accept and respond to without fear, without being caught by anything, any fear. It is not easy to be straightforward. If you realize this, you will accept pretty hard discipline to keep your true nature. So I, I don't know about you, but I hadn't really um, encountered, I don't remember encountering Suzuki Roshi speaking about straightforwardness. Um, and I think it's good to think about what does that mean? Uh, you know, there's another expression in, in Zen, which is just go straight. And I think that what he means by straightforwardness is just doing one activity after another in the proper order. And this is also, we can think of this as, if we're speaking about it in the proper order, we're speaking about ordinary mind, right? As, as we read about it in uh, the dialogue between uh, between Nansen and Joshi, famous dialogue which we've studied many times. Joshi asks Nansen, what is the way? Nansen says, ordinary mind is the way. And Joshi asks, shall I try to seek after it? And Nansen replies, if you try for it, you will become separated from it. Joshu keeps questioning. How can I know the way unless I try for it? Nansen said, the way is not a matter of knowing or not knowing. Knowing is delusion. Not knowing is confusion. When you have really reached the true way beyond doubt, you will find it as vast and boundless as outer space. How can it be talked about on the level of right and wrong? And with these words, Joshua came to a sudden realization. So that seems uh, that seems grand, if you will. But it's not so grand. It's just the ordinary way we know what to do. So uh, we have a schedule. So please try to be here before the bell rings. Try to be on time with everybody. That's straightforward way. It's not so complicated. It's not a matter of grandiose experience. Uh, it's just a matter of doing things in time and in space and doing them together because that's our intention in Sashin. In Sashin, we do things together. Uh, but in order to do things together, each of us individually has to take complete responsibility for that togetherness. If we're out of time, if we're out of place, then we're drawing energy away from the oneness. And, you know, to go back to 
to what the, the sixth ancestor said. The samadhi of, one, of oneness is straightforward mind at all times. So you could say the samadhi of oneness is your responsibility, your practice, but also, uh -huh, which he doesn't say, but I think is, is our larger understanding. The samadhi of oneness is something that we are all manifesting together. We sit next to each other. We're having, we have orioki, which is something that we do together and all of us in our own time, in our own space, but together. So the samadhi of oneness is not, does not just belong to you. In this straightforward practice that Suzuki Roshi is encouraging us to follow is uh, the practice that we create together. And I think it's really important. Otherwise, there'd be no need for Seshin. You know, otherwise we would all uh, find our little space to meditate in and we would just do it when, whenever we decided to, and we do it in our own time and place, and we would not be creating collaboratively, collectively, a samadhi of oneness. In this talk, he says, what I want to talk about now is how to orient your mind in practice. For the beginner, it is inevitable that there will be hard discipline, the observation of some rules. It's not just the rules, the discipline is just like what we have to do with our body. You know, for reading uh, Sojin's memoir and looking at my experience and I'm sure that many of you can testify to the fact that the first years of practice were really really hard you know uh, we had to uh, we had to figure out how to work with our body how to allow it to stretch and open and how to work with our mind and uh, that was its own difficulty. And then as years go on, we got other difficulties. So uh, the, he, Suzuki says, the observation of rigid rules is not the point. But if you want to acquire vital freedom, it is necessary to have some strength or to have some discipline in order to be free from one-sided dualistic ideas. When you see something beautiful, you will stay there as much as possible. And when you are tired of it, you will go to another place. You may think that this is freedom, but it is not freedom. You are enslaved by your surroundings not at all free. That kind of life is just material and superficial. Because we have some idea of freedom, because of our true nature, which wants to be free, our true nature wants to be free, we start to study something and we choose between good and bad, right and wrong. Some people may think, if we were like cats and dogs, there would be real freedom. Um, but this kind of desire will not satisfy our own inmost desire. After striving and seeking freedom, you will realize you cannot attain freedom by searching for it. 
So that's exactly what uh, what nonsense says in the koan. He says, if you try for it, you will become separated from it. Of course, if you keep up this kind of effort for a long time, you will develop a kind of intuition so that you will know what you should do without thinking so much. You'll have a certain intuition, but this kind of ability based on experience is not religious experience. Religious experience is not only intuition about what is good or bad, but also joy, happiness, and composure. So there is a treasure to be discovered. And I think that I'm sure that by the end of these five days, as we've settled into our practice, many of us will be able to at least spend some moments with this treasure. We'll see it all around us. We'll see us, we'll see it in the, in the glow of the sky. We'll see it in each other's faces. And it won't necessarily be some big enlightenment experience, although it may be. But it will be exactly the freedom that he's talking about as uh, religious experience, as joy, happiness, and composure. There's a lovely section in this talk here. Dogen Zenji said that Bodhisattva Kanon changed the direction of a sound by hearing it. Usually the sound comes from a bell and you hear it. You think, there is a bell, it's a wonderful sound. I heard that this morning, just with something about the sound of uh, Gary's bells, it was quite, it was just warm and enveloping. Uh, it's a wonderful sound that was met by, that was created by the meaning of the bell, of Gary's true nature, and of our complete receptivity. And that's what creates beautiful sound, beautiful tone. So usually sound comes from a bell and you hear it, you think, there's a bell, it's a wonderful sound. But when Avalokiteshvara heard the sound, he made the sound at the same time. Do you understand? He made the sound, not the bell. You made the sound. You practice zazen. Zazen is there. So the sound, the bell has a part of it. Gary has a part of it. And if you're not here, there's no bell. You have a part of it. comes to mind, at least what I think I remember of uh, very strong experience that Aiken Roshi had. And he was sitting, uh, Sajin, in Japan. And he'd been practicing for quite a while and was, you know, hadn't passed the barrier of Mu. And uh, one morning during service, the bell sounded, and all of a sudden he rang with the bell. And he actually echoed, physically echoed the sound of the bell. 
and that was his that was his opening experience. So it's exactly uh -huh, what Suzuki Roshi is saying. Uh -huh. He made the sound. But it's also true that each of us is the essential ingredient. Our hearing is what makes the sound. Our vital freedom will be like running water, originating from a mountain and passing through valleys and fields, reaching the sea. There's no freedom for the water to return to the mountain. But at the same time, there's vital freedom. This kind of life is called religious life. To attain it is to practice zazen without the idea of gaining. To expect some result from your practice is like trying to hear the bell from outside yourself. To try to achieve something is to hear the bell from the outside only. If you do not have the faintest idea of gaining, the sound will arise from you. When the bell is sounding, you are sounding. Stop your gaining idea and keep alert, ready to accept, ready to respond to the slightest sound which will come. So, and then he says, this is the ability that will come by practice, that you will, you will gain by practice. That's what he talks about, gain. So what he's talking about is, in the course of Sashin, can we open ourselves to this total receptivity to respond to the sound of the bell, to respond to the rhythm of our day to respond to the sunlight or the shadow if it falls just to respond this is our creativity this total receptivity and response not an idea that we're imposing We are now studying, practicing zazen in one room. That's exactly what we're doing. That's what he says. And, you know, here we are, practicing in what Sojin Roshi called the one-room schoolhouse. And I think of it, I, you know, as I think of this as like uh, an ark. To me, this this room is like an upside-down boat. You know, it's like the keel is up there. It's it's backwards, but we're backwards, you know. Um, some of you have practiced sasan for a long time. Some of you started just now. But each should have her own way, even though we practice in the same way. Just practice sazen until you get accustomed to the right posture. And when you get tired of it, you should try to conquer the tiredness. Be alert. Try to respond. And just express yourself in the right way. This is how we practice sazen. This is all that we need to do. So just find straightforward mind within yourself and appreciate it and do it. So I'm going to stop here and uh, leave time for some questions or comments. Uh, are we passing the microphone? Yeah. Good. Um, so Joe has the microphone. And uh, you can raise your hand in here, and you can also raise your hand online.
if anyone has anything that would like to ask or share. Could you hear that? Uh, some people could. Some not, people. not completely. Right. So what what Joel was recalling was a uh, a show song, uh with Sojin where uh, he forgot to show up, and uh, I guess I went and called. I have no recollection of this. Yeah. Uh, I went and called him, and he had spaced it out and. So we just sat Zazen. Uh, yes, so that's everybody's straightforward mind. Yeah. With that day, it was probably Mel's sleeping mind, yeah. and it's our Zazen mind, and, uh, you know, my just accepting, okay, this is what's happening. Right. What do we do that's what's appropriate? Uh, it's, you know, it also comes back to this the koan that I really, is, is really central for me, you know, what is the meaning of a Buddha's lifetime of practice, an appropriate response, you know, so that's, uh, that's a, that's an appropriate response. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ross. Thank you, Rosan. You opened your talk today uh, about the difficulties uh, and how hard it is at the first uh, day, and that um, you felt uh, things cling to you. And uh, my experience is that I also have feelings of things clinging to me, but in Zazen, I realize I'm clinging to them. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering uh, um, how you understand this interplay between uh, other clinging and self-clinging, and um, how we get activated and we kind of maybe lose our center and maybe point outward or we regain a center and maybe point inward and how we go back and forth. Yeah. Um, I think that that's right. It, it's not those necessarily those things are clinging to us. We're clinging to them. Um, and in the course of the day, uh, we discover how to let them go. Right. And we, you know, I, like, I was surprised this morning, uh, you know, I was in a grumpy mood when I woke up, uh, and I knew I've just got to get out of bed and get dressed and be okay. And then I came down here and uh, I felt like Zazen was, was very deep and I wasn't thinking about anything else. So that transition, so today that was an easy transition for me. Other times, not not so easy, but yes, it's it's me that does the clinging, not not the things clinging to me. Thank you for that. 
I'm glad that you uh, woke up. <laughs> Thank you. Questions? Thoughts? Mira and then Judy. Well, I want to go back to straightforward. Wait, let's use the microphone. Oh, sorry. I want to go back to straightforward mind because that seems to be the main point of this talk. And um, I'm still not really clear what that means to me. So I'll just say what my idea of it is. Is straightforward mind. It's just doing what needs to be done next and not making any commotion or big deal or complaining about it, just responding to what needs to be done. I think that's right. I don't think it's rocket science, you know, but it's not always so easy to do because we're, we're very often caught up in our, uh, in our self-centered ideas. Uh, but, um, but does that uh, definition that works for me com completely? Yeah. And other people, I wanted to yeah. know what other people thought straightforward mind meant to them if they had other ideas. Yeah, I'd like to know. Judy, then Carol. day, at least for me, uh, a lot of what's happening somatically is how uh, feelings, uh, painful feelings, um, grief uh, is just, you know, down to the marrow, really intense. And um, to touch into that, it's also important to know how much is enough, right? And that, um, we're holding one another to stay buoyant um, with that. And I'm wondering if you might uh, say a word about how that flows with uh, the importance of face-to-face -face practice discussion, uh, dokusan, at some point. What's the straightforwardness in that? Well, first of all, I think that in the course of our zazen, if those are, if, if that's what you're experiencing, that that kind of emotional pain and challenge, just like uh, really hold it gently and tenderly. And uh, hold it carefully. Don't necessarily wrap your arms, throw your arms around it, if you know what I mean. Um, and I think one of the things that can happen, one of the things that can happen in in Dokusan is you say what you what it is you are experiencing and feeling. And in the act of saying that, there's something mysterious that can happen, something unburdening in the in the act of saying it. You're not carrying it all alone. And uh, I always find that really helpful. to Amira's uh, comment about straightforward mind doing what's next. I believe it does include uh, complaining. It might include complaining, kvetching. It might include sorrow. In other words, 
emotions are there, they're, they're going to be there, and we can still um, do the next thing forward, and maybe even by taking the next step and one step and the next step, those emotions will shift. So I don't, I don't think I could wait for a pure mind. Nothing's in my mind now. I'm going to take the next step. What do you want to, do you have a comment about that? Yeah. Um, I think the challenge is how to do something completely. You know, if you're complaining, complain completely. <laughs> and be prepared to move to the next thing. You know, don't get caught there. That The problem that I have anyway is that I may be doing something and I find my complaining winding in and out of that activity and that takes me, that takes my awareness away from that activity. So maybe it's best to just really fetch, really grieve, really weep. And, uh, you know, I, there's something about this image that Suzuki Roshi puts out towards the end of the talk of the the water rushing down the mountain. You know, it doesn't it doesn't go back. It just moves it moves in a straightforward in one direction. And uh, so if we can allow that unobstructedness to manifest in our lives. I think that's that's a way of thinking of straightforward mind. Are there other definitions of straightforward? Other uh, other things that this calls up for people? Anyone out there? Or in here? Mary and then Susan. The word that keeps coming to mind. The word that keeps coming to mind uh, for me is authentic or unelaborated. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Mary, what was the first word? Authentic. Mary saying the word comes to mind for her is authentic or unelaborated, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that makes sense. Uh, I think the challenge there is there can be a part of your mind that's judging what's authentic or not. Is this authentic? And, you know, that can be really, you can, we can get ourselves into a tangle about that. Uh -huh. But, yeah. Uh, Susan? You know, that story that Joel told, it struck me that um, one could say a mistake had been made. I mean, he forgot, right? That was a mistake. But, um, you know, that's all it was. Like, it seems like part of being straightforward is not adding something extra. Like, you make a mistake and then you move on and not creating stories about what the mistake means. So did you say, you know, talk about why do people think when, when they make a mistake that it means they're a bad person? It doesn't mean that. It just means you made a mistake. So to me, there's something about being straightforward that's connected to that, just not adding an extra layer not adding a story and if you do just noticing that and just that's the practice drop it right yeah i do think that you know you know this is like the clearest articulation of it that just kind of rose out of what you just said i feel that um Somehow I learned from him how to make mistakes. Uh, and certainly I learned from him uh, 
there was something, it was not, he, he didn't teach me this directly, and it may not even have been his way, but he accepted his mistakes. And what I learned was to, uh, when they weren't harmful to anybody, myself or anybody, I learned to laugh at them. You know, if I overslept, okay. Uh, and uh, the world is not going to end. You know, if I oversleep or if Sojin misses Shosan, my God, there's, there's greater difficulties in our, on our planet. And so to learn how to make mistakes and also to learn when you have to take responsibility for a mistake. That's, it's, it's not, that's not off the table, right? Right. Um, but um, you have to look at the context. But yeah. that might be the very next thing. And that's still being straightforward. Right, right. Instead of dwelling on the mistake, which often prevents you from doing the next thing by, right. you know, by creating some, something extra. Right, so it just, if a mistake, you know, impacted another person, just to, to talk to them and to, to apologize or see what they're thinking. Uh -huh. Yeah, this is, this is, this is, is part of our practice. This is a lot of our practice. Like, uh, how do we encounter ourselves, first of all, and then, of course, how do we count, uh, encounter others who are also, in a sense, no other than ourselves. Yeah. So maybe I saw two hands there. Gary, maybe you have the last question. Follow the schedule. That's straightforward. <laughs> it is. Well, maybe that's the last word. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and the schedule says we need to end now. So.